Good morning. Man, I am glad to be back up here. It is always a joy to open the Bible with you. If you're newer to church or puzzled by the reference, one of the songs we sang this morning says, Death, Where Is Your Sting? That's a reference to the New Testament where being the resurrection is being explained to us. And if you ever played football, this is kind of like spiking the football. Or if you enjoy football, why do players spike the football to, well, celebrate and also just a little bit show the opposition what's up, right? This is where we wanted to come and there it is. Years ago, I went to a volleyball game because a kid who had only played football was now playing volleyball and sadly he transferred as much as he could from the football mindset to the volleyball mindset, including one big kill he said to the kid across the net, where are you at, number eight? And I said, you know, it's, volleyball's not really that kind of sport where you taunt the opponent through the net, right? You can do that privately and quietly through your face mask playing football. That's not a good look in volleyball. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians. When we're, the, ex, the explanation, the resurrection is being explained to us. The sting of death, the power of the grave is gone because of the resurrection. Yes, it happens. The death rate is 10 out of 10. Death rate's still 100% the human race. But it's not the end of the story. Because Jesus is alive. He said it himself. Because I live, you will live also. That's why we're celebrating. Now then, if you're new to our church, welcome. Thank you for making it on this uh, rainy Sunday. Hey, do you like the dock we had installed? <laughs> We will soon be selling tours of uh, Lake Cross Point to help pay for the construction that is taking place, and we're really hoping that the construction is going to come to a happy end sooner rather than later. Thank you for your patience as we sort through it. Today we're diving into my, one of my very favorite portions of the Bible. Please open your Bible in the book of Proverbs. If you're unfamiliar with where the location of Proverbs is, open your Bible roughly in the middle and you'll find a long book entitled Proverbs. And this week, more than any other, before we actually examine and explore and discover the wisdom of a particular proverb, I want to teach you a little bit about how to read Proverbs. Because we live in an age where wisdom is more required than ever. This made-up word, wisdom, illustrates the invitation and the challenge that Proverbs poses to its reader. As I'm going to explain to you, Proverbs invites you to watch life happen right in front of you. And it puts you at a crossroad between being wise and being foolish or being wise and being dumb. How many of you ever been wise where you would, without all humility, you would say, I made a wise decision and God blessed me in it? Anybody like that? It's way too many humble people here at church. Good for you. <laughs> this one might be easier. How many of you ever behaved in a dumb fashion where you looked <laughs> and you're like the kid with the t-shirt, it seemed like a good idea at, at the time, right? Well, Proverbs is the kind of book, it's wisdom literature. And we need wisdom more than ever because we live in one of the most disruptive, creative, most rapidly changing times in human history. 
People who did the math said that, say that 90% of human data has been generated in the last two years. Think about that. We are exploding in information, and it's only getting faster and faster. The people who did the math said that in every minute of 2017, every single minute of the past year, the world sent 15.2 million text messages. Can you imagine? And that number alone was triple from the year before. Every minute of 2017, Google absorbed 3.6 million searches. Every minute all around the world. Twitter absorbs or broadcast almost half a million tweets per minute every minute of the year. And if you're in that world, it can seem sometimes like more, or it can seem like just one member of your family is carrying all the heavyweight in that particular number. Now that's information. We live in a disruptive time where technology has brought information close. You have more information readily available to you in your smartphone than almost every human being combined had in all of human history. It's all at your fingertips. Now, for all of that information, do you feel like we're living more wisely these days than in the past? No, because there is a vast difference between information and wisdom. And that's why Proverbs is so important. If you'll hold your place in the book of Proverbs, I want you to open your Bibles now to the table of contents. If you know your Bible inside and out, please don't feel insulted. But look in the table of contents with me. There's 66 books there. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. As you look across that page, you're seeing 1,400 years of writing. You're seeing three different languages that the authors of Scripture use to write the Bible. It's astonishing. If you put a committee together to write a book across 1,400 years in three different languages, that book would be nonsense. But the Bible tells one cohesive single story, and the whole point of the Bible, Jesus himself says, is the person of Jesus. The Old Testament for centuries promises that he is coming and shows God patiently bringing that to pass, and then in a flurry of frenzied writing where the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and the people who were close to them can literally, if you read it, can hardly believe what they've experienced. They wrote down faithfully what they knew about Jesus, including his resurrection, and the sudden birth of churches everywhere in the known world at that time as people bet their life on the truthfulness of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's your Bible. And sometimes when you dive into the Bible, it seems confusing or overwhelming because you're actually reading across all of that time and all of that culture. It is a single book with a single subject, but in another way of looking at it, it's a library. And it has all different kinds of literature. And if you went into the Huntington Beach Public Library and went into the Quiet Place, one of my favorites, the genealogical records section, because everybody there is very serious, nobody's messing around, okay? Nobody's on their smartphone tweeting up a storm. There's like two people, and they're working on their family history, and that's why I love it. It's quiet. If you went in there and hoped for inspiration, you would be terribly disappointed. 
It's all historical information. If you picked up one of Shakespeare's sonnets and read it looking for some information, some knowledge on how to repair your car, again, you would be disappointed. Different kinds of writing requires a different kind of reading. And when you're reading Proverbs, you're reading wisdom literature. It's filled with images and comparisons. It's filled with word pictures. And especially, Proverbs often just make observations about life using all this imagery, and it won't tell you exactly what you're supposed to do about it. That's why I want to take actually the majority of the time this morning to enhance and equip you to read Proverbs. Because it may be that a pastor's more valuable contribution is not just telling you on a given Sunday what Scripture means, but giving you some tools that tomorrow morning when you, with extra coffee because of this time change that we've all suffered through, will need your time with God with extra coffee, you can open this book again and have God speak to you. Here's the simplest way to think about Proverbs. Proverbs are truth concentrate. Proverbs are a distilled very short, power-packed, a lot of truth packed into just a few lines. Many of the Proverbs, including the kind I'm going to show you, don't tell you what to do. It's not always, in other words, it's not always a matter of what should we do. Often, it's more a case of what's going on here. Because what Proverbs want to do is to tell you like it is. They want to tell you what is happening in life. Proverbs invites you to a ringside seat in the chaos and the spectacle and the beauty and the joy and the grief and the conflict and all that life is, and it invites you to sit at a safe distance and watch life happen so that based on that understanding, you can go out and behave like a wise woman, like a wise man, rather than what is so characteristic of human beings, rather than behave like a fool. Here's an easy one to get us into it. Proverbs 13, I'm sorry, rather, Proverbs 20, verse 14, these will be on the screen, says this, bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. Now, are you told to do anything here? No, you're just told, you're, an observation is made about life. This is every, every used car deal that's ever happened in America. The salesman says it's awesome, the guy who's buying it says it's garbage, I don't like the color, I don't think my kids will fit, my clubs certainly won't fit, my golf clubs won't fit in the back, I heard this thing had terrible reviews, my neighbor had one of these, it's got oil all over the driveway, you're going to have to do better than that, pal. And for a long time, the buyer behaves like he hates the car, but then he ends up buying it, and what does he tell all his friends? Got a great deal. Real chump down there. That dealership, you should get down there. They're giving them away. <laughs> so you should just know in the buying and selling transaction, this is the way it goes. This is the way life works. Here's one that's much more serious, Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, this is a simile for you grammar geeks. Your English teacher told you this stuff would matter. You laughed at her, and here we are, reading God's holy word and knowing a little, knowing what she tried to tell you when you were 13 and paying no better attention than I was. This will help. 
A simile is a literary device. It's a way of writing or speaking that says that one thing is like another. It's meant to catch your attention. It's meant to be memorable. A man without self-control, we're told, is like something else. Ever known anybody without any self-control? Ever behaved without self-control? In that moment, Proverbs warns, when you behave, man or woman, obviously, without self-control, you become in that moment like a city that's been broken into and left without walls. Solomon is speaking in his day, 3,000 years ago, where cities had to be walled. It was their way of security. In our day, we would say it like this, a man without self-control is like a house broken into and left without a front door. Would you sleep comfortably in your house if all the doors were gone? No, you'd get a hotel. If you really needed to stay there, you might want a policeman or you might want a gun nearby because you wouldn't feel safe sleeping in a place that had no front door, no wall to defend you. Well, 3,000 years earlier, Proverbs warns that a man who lacks self-control is chronically and always vulnerable. And the Me Too movement has shown that some of the most powerful, well-connected, wealthy men in the world lacked self-control in a vital area and the way they treated people and behaved toward women, and that vulnerability has now exposed them. And they're being sued into poverty, and their jobs are gone, and their reputation is gone, and where they were once admired, now they are reviled and despised. How did all of that happen? Because they lacked self-control. So what Proverbs invites you to do by making this simple observation is for you to stop and think to yourself, where is it that I lack self-control? Because wherever you lack self-control, you'll be vulnerable. What I'm trying to tell you is this, Proverbs teach discernment, but they also require it. It's not always a matter of intelligence. Sometimes it's a matter of cultivating wisdom and learning to hear humbly from God. When we did this series, and this is all review, by the way, when we did this series for two years ago, one of the smartest men in the country, literally, with an Ivy League education, he's actually well-known for his intelligence, started reading Proverbs, as I invited him to do, and humbly, honestly said, there's things here I don't understand, because Proverbs sometimes will just give you this short punchy, concentrated truth and not tell you what to do with it. It invites you to sit quietly and humbly and figure out where you fit in the proverb and what you're supposed to do about it. Here's a great example, Proverbs 26, verse 4. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Does that make good sense? Sometimes when you argue with fools, you end up acting more a fool than they did. So Proverbs says, don't do it. Now look in Proverbs 26, verse 5. This is the very next verse. Read it with me. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, whoa. I'm going to ask you a very simple question, and it's been challenging for the two services that preceded yours. Did God contradict himself here? Hmm. Okay, look at it again. Is there a contradiction between those two verses? First, you're told to not do something, and then the very next verse tells you 
to do the opposite thing, right? Got a bad author? Got a bad editor? Does God need an editor? Is this one of those cases where the committee is going to be reading through it after they publish and say, oh my goodness, that's embarrassing. <laughs> hey, who wrote verse 5? You're fired. So what's going on here? Why does the Bible give contrary instructions? It must be on purpose because they're right next to each other. Does that make sense? Why is it written this way? Because what Proverbs is inviting you to do, reading those two things one after another, is to ask yourself this hard question. Is this one of those times where I should answer the fool so he's not conceited? Or I should keep quiet in the presence of the fool because if I start arguing, I'm going to be an even bigger fool than they are. It varies. Sometimes it's wise to keep silent. Other times it's wise and righteous to speak up. Here's the vision of Proverbs, these Proverbs that just report life. They want to help you look backward first. They want you to see the wise man and the fool living their lives. They want you to see God dealing with each one of them and looking backward for you to see life the way it really is. One of the meanest things anybody can ever say to somebody else is this, you don't get it. Ever had somebody say that to you? You don't get it. You just don't understand reality. There are facts out here that for a reason that is mysterious to me elude you. You don't get how it works. Proverbs wants to tell you in a few punchy words how life actually is, and then it wants you to look forward to spark you into wise action. This is the way life is. This is the way life works. What are you to do about it? Here's an example. This is as timely as your credit card bill. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. That's 3,000 years ago. That first line is as true today as it was back then. The rich always rule. And you can hate that, but that's the way it works. In all of human history, people who have more money have more options. People who have less money, who for whatever reason, many times through no fault of their own, find themselves in poverty, they don't have options, they don't have freedom, and this for sure, the borrower is always the slave of the lender. How many have ever felt in servitude to Capital One? That's the way it works. The more debt you have, the more obligation you have to something beyond yourself. Many people buy far more house than they can afford and discover in the middle of their life that all they're really doing is working their eyes out and ruining everything else just because they wanted that great backyard. And Proverbs just says this is the way it works. Now, what would wise action be? To wisely consider how much you should borrow to make sure that you don't ever find yourself living like a slave. If Proverbs were a story, there would be three characters. There would be God, who alone is perfectly wise and who has written all these things down through wise King Solomon. And there would also be in our story a wise man and a fool. Look in Proverbs chapter 1, please. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Here's why the Proverbs were given. 
to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Are you interested in living life in a way that shows that you are a righteous, equitable person? Parents, are you interested in your children knowing how to live wisely so that their lives are good and fair and just? That's what Proverbs is offering. Look at verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 4. To give prudence to the simple. In other words, if you don't get it, the Proverbs can teach you. If you're naive and uninformed and uneducated, the Proverbs can help you understand life as it actually is. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, young people, if you will absorb the wisdom of Proverbs, you'll be wiser, no more, be more righteous than many people decades your elder. It's not all, wisdom is not always a function of age. And everybody knows there's no fool that's worse than an old fool. Foolishness is understandable and far more forgivable when you're 13 than when you're in your 70s. Proverbs says, let's speed up. You can have knowledge and discretion even in your youth. Verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. There it is. Sometimes the surface won't, the meaning won't be on the surface. Now, Proverbs 1, verse 7 is the foundation of Proverbs itself. Read it with me right off the screen. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This Proverb 1, 7, after telling you what good they will do you, Proverbs 1, 7 is the foundation of the whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, understanding truth and reality begins in a certain relationship with God Himself. But we have to deal with that word fear. Does it mean that God will give wisdom and understanding, wisdom and instruction, only to those who cringe, frightened in a corner away from Him? No. The biblical concept of fear is a deep-seated respect, it's reverence, it's admiration that you're so overwhelmed with the importance, the goodness, the strength, the wisdom, the overall beautiful character of this person who is God, that of course you're going to do what He says. Years and years ago, I was really happy to sit in the stands to watch a bunch of youth football players who had shown up for a clinic and an NFL Hall of Famer walked out and started talking to them. He didn't get one word of objection. Why? Because these 10, 11, 12-year-old kids knew that the guy in front of them, he was what they all hoped they would dream, hoped and dreamed they someday could be. Of course he knew how to tell them to run around. When he said, catch the ball this way, of course they paid attention. Why? Because there was reverence, there was awe, there was admiration there. That's the fear of the Lord. That kind of respect, that kind of deep-seated, bone-deep, I don't have to be told twice if I know it's God speaking to me, that's the very beginning of knowledge. That's where truth and reality begin. If you don't have Him in your life in the first place, you don't actually have a grasp of knowledge at all. 
And as this 66 book word of God unfolds, we're we learn that God is not one who sits high in the heavens, completely unreachable from us. That book tells one cohesive story because it tells you that God loves us so deeply that seeing us defiant, irreverent, unconcerned, disobedient, sinful, and lying and selfish, that's every human being that's ever born, God saw us in that condition and loved us in spite of all that so much that He actually sent His Son Jesus to die for those sins on the cross and to welcome people like us into His family as His own sons and daughters. And now you can actually know God and love Him and know for sure that when you speak in prayer, God is actually listening and that the God who knows everything actually cares so much about you individually that though He created the world and rules over all of it, He knows the way you should go. And all of that opens to you daily as you pick up His Word. But not everybody, Proverbs 1-7 warns, will take advantage because it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that also is the way that life works. You ever been in a class or in a job or any kind of project with someone who was just flat out unteachable? Who knew everything? To whom everybody, co-workers, colleagues, superiors, customers, everybody's an idiot. They alone are the repository of all human knowledge and skill. How did you like that person? You didn't because fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you're being offered a course in life. Look at Proverbs 22 verse 3. This again is the way life works. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. That's how life works. A wise person sees trouble coming of any kind trouble in their health, trouble in their finances, challenges to their marriage. They see it coming and take refuge. Those who are unintelligent, those who are simple, naive, they go right on and pay the consequences. Here's Donna Garner. That's my mother. Here's her favorite verse. If I heard this once, I heard it literally hundreds of times growing up. She said this to me into my 20s, at which point I was married, and another wise, wonderful woman stepped into her place to tell me how life actually was and how I came across, okay? Let me hear the voice of my mother read this with me again. This will take me right back to third grade. Read it with me. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. You're being told that there is great wisdom in silence. Guys who are dating, give you a tip. Be quiet. She may think you're deep. She may go home and tell her friends, you know, deep waters will run, run deep and quiet. His great wisdom in him, he just sat there looking at me and stroking his chin. You'll know and you'll tell your buddies you had no idea what to say, but you had the wisdom to keep your mouth shut and she may deem you what? Intelligent. What a beauty. 
Here's one more for the social media age, and before we're done with this series, it'll take us close to Easter and beyond, so feel free to invite your friends. We'll deal with timeless wisdom for the social media age. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Why do I mention social media? Because like nothing else in the world, social media gives everybody a platform to say anything that's on their mind to anyone who happens to read it, and there's a permanent record forever. And we've even had this little phrase that we've invented when we feel like giving vent to our spirit. People will blast everyone and everything. They'll scorch every relationship. They will malign people's character. They'll just leave scorched earth. And at the end, they'll write this, rant over. In other words, I'm done with the rest of you. You can keep scrolling now. Well, Proverbs addresses that. When I behave that way, I'm behaving foolishly. The wise man instead doesn't say all that's on his mind. He may speak, but he won't show all of his heart. He will quietly hold it back. So what Proverbs is doing is this. It's inviting you to ask this question. Am I the kind of person that lacks self-control? Has made himself a slave to debt? Am I the kind of person who foolishly tells everybody who cares to read my Facebook everything that I think? And what it wants you to do is move toward wisdom. Let's look now to Proverbs 3 quickly for today's proverb. Remember, Solomon is passing on this instruction which he has been supernaturally granted by God, and this king is pulling his son close and telling him father to son, heart to heart, how he can live wisely. Proverbs 3 verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. Notice that. These are commandments. They're not just opinions. They're not just best practices. They're not life hacks. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. In other words, son, I have instructions for you from God. If you'll do what I'm asking, you'll have a long life and a peaceful life. Here's some imagery for you that we have to discern. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Look back up in verse 3. What might it mean to bind the certain things? Bind, it says, love and faithfulness to your neck. What would it look like to write them on the tablets of your heart? That's obviously poetic language. You can't actually open your heart up and write on it. I don't know how to tie love or faithfulness around my neck. What's Solomon trying to say through this imagery? What do you think? There is love and faithfulness. What does he want his son to do with it? Keep it close, right? There is a better righteous way of living. There is a loving, steadfast, loving, and faithful character that can be developed as you listen to me. I want you to take these things into the very center of your being. I want them to tie them around your neck. Ever see people at the airport who carry their passports in a little package right in front of them? 
terrible fashion look, but they do it for a good reason. I refuse to do that because I'm vain and I don't want to be that guy with all that stuff around my neck, and that's why I'm also the guy in the TSA line frantically digging through bags because I can't remember where I left it. Why do people keep things around their neck? Because they're precious. They want them close. Solomon says, son, I have instructions to give you. I have commandments to pass on. Keep them close around your neck. In fact, write them on the tablet of your heart. What is this proverb telling us? This, in a world of opinions, God has instructions. See, one of the things that's tearing America apart is that we have believed this crazy idea that just because everybody is entitled to their opinion, all opinions are necessarily valid and true, and they're not. Everybody can't be right. If people are screaming opposite things, they both may be mistaken, but they can't both be correct. Into all of that cacophony, into all of that noise, God, the creator of the world, has instructions lovingly to pass on. And this is the offer of Proverbs. Look again with me in Proverbs 3, and we'll keep, we'll keep reading. Verse 4 says, if you will do this, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. If you will listen to God's instructions, if you will sort through the noise of all of these ungodly opinions, if you will stop listening to your own counsel, the next verse says, and you will listen to God's truth, you will be granted success. With who? With everybody. God will approve. God will see that you're successful. God will bless you and make you successful. The people around you will admire you. You will advance if only you can humble yourself to follow God's instructions. The invitation of Proverbs is not just a better way to live. God is actually inviting you into a loving and loyal relationship. Look at verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. How many of you knew that verse already? Just about everybody, right? I've seen that verse on everything from tattoos to Instagram. I mean, that verse is out there, man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Simple to say, beautiful to write. It might even make a great tattoo for some of you, not for me, but for some of you. What is that? That's an invitation. That's actually an instruction to give God your loyalty, that you are in a personal relationship, and you're going to have to decide who's going to lead in it. Look carefully at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In other words, you're in a personal one-on-one relationship with the God of the universe. The God who made everything and who understands how it all works because He made it, He's opened His heart up to you. And what He invites you to do person to person, human being to eternal Creator is, trust me. Trust me with all your heart. In other words, with everything that you are, trust me. And what it looks like to give God your loyalty is this. You trust His understanding over your own. And it's easy to say amen in church, but that's hard to do on a Tuesday. Because here's how human nature works. I always think I'm right. Don't you? Oh, no, I would never. Yeah, you do. 
we all think we're right. In my case, when I discover that I'm wrong, I change my mind and then something wonderful happens. I'm right again. (laughs) And I just keep moving through life, almost always right, occasionally making tiny course corrections and I'm just, I'm right. We all live that way. You got up, got dressed, drank a gallon of coffee, came to this service, have lunch plans later. Why are you doing all those things? Because you think they're good. They're right. You're taught from childhood and you're driven by your own nature to continually think that you know what is good. And in a difficult situation, you intuitively trust yourself. That's why Proverbs says, trust in the Lord. Notice the title. The Lord, He's in charge of everything. What are you to do if a good, loving God who made all that is, who is so loving, so loyal, so compassionate and forgiving that He would actually die for you, if that person is willing to tell you how life works, the only sensible thing is to listen. It would actually make more sense for those 10-year-olds to correct the Hall of Famer than for you to tell the God who is the author of life to say to him, you just don't get it. On this one, I'm going to go my own way. Let me ask you, honestly, have you ever gone your own way? In this church and in every church I've ever served in two different languages and several different countries, I've had men and women of all ages say sometimes directly to me, sometimes only through their actions, I don't care what the Bible says, I am doing this. What is that? That is a refusal to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to not lean on your own understanding. In other words, wisdom is choosing God-centered reality over self-centered fantasy. When I think I've got it all figured out, that's fantasy. That's one of the beautiful things about marriage. If you're married to a good, loving, truthful person, your fantasy will regularly be punctured. And you will be told, hopefully with kindness, you just don't get it. That's not right. That's not the best way. Now, you have a greater advocate than the most loving spouse in the world. You have your heavenly Father who is always willing to tell you what is true and what is right and what is best because your own understanding at its best is always limited. It's often mistaken. It's always tainted by self-interest. It can put you actually in great danger. God is saying here, this, we both can't be in charge. As you walk your way through life, you'll either follow your own wisdom or you'll follow mine. Look at verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. How many of you were familiar with that verse? That one goes right along with it. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but this is one of those times where our English translation, in my personal, humble, non-professional opinion, the word acknowledge is much too weak. Acknowledge is just this bare, tiny little head nod, right? That's the coworker you don't like to whom you give the grudging half-smile in the hall, right? You're not going to ignore them, pretend like they're invisible or dead, but you're going to acknowledge them, but that's it. Acknowledgement is what I and a fellow fat guy did a few days ago. I went for a run, and I passed a fellow, a fellow fat man on a trail going in opposite directions, and we acknowledged each other, right? 
Good for you, buddy. Put the ice cream down today, huh? Good for you. And we just acknowledge each other. We're not best friends. I didn't have the energy to chase him down and, you know, ask if we could talk about it later. We just barely acknowledged each other. The Hebrew word here literally says this, in all your ways, know him. In other words, when you find yourself in a difficult situation where it's not clear to your own understanding which way you're supposed to go, what God wants you in that situation to do is to know him. Because it's always easy to ask God what to do. What matters much more is knowing who God is. In this situation, in this temptation, in this crisis in my family, in this parenting challenge, in this season of suffering and loss, God, who are you? And as you go deeper with Him and learn who He is, He'll show you what to do. What Proverbs is trying to tell us here is this, God knows best and I'm willing to bet my life on it day by day. Not my understanding, but His. And I'm going to bet my life, I'm literally going to stake my life on this day, which is the only day I have for sure. Yesterday is gone, tomorrow may never come, but today, God, in these situations, I will relinquish control to you, and I will bet my life today that you know what is best in this situation. What things do people fight to keep control of for themselves, the things that matter most? Let me tell you where people in my personal experience, in my own struggle, and in my pastoral ministry, most fight God. They fight God about money because it matters so much. They fight God about sex. They fight God about big decisions like marriage and employment. They fight God about parenting. They fight God in their relationships. I know what wise people are telling me. I know what the Word says, but just this once, I think He's great. Well, good luck with that. Actually, no such thing as luck, so just, you know, we'll love you and hug you and tell you it's okay when you come back. And we've all been in those situations. In every instance in my life where I have relinquished self-control, I've always been hurt eventually. In every area where greed or desire to possess has overcome the wisdom to look at the danger of debt, Every single time I've been hurt, in every situation where I thought I knew better than God, I am always hurt. And Proverbs says instead, bet your life today on the fact that God knows best, because if you do, you'll be blessed. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. There's that deep reverence again and turn away from evil. This path that you're on is not a path that you choose and then ask for God's blessing. That's how people twist verse 6. Have you ever decided what to do and sprinkled prayer for it on the way out the door? God, here I go. Please bless me. No, he won't. Not if you're going the wrong way. Wise parents are better than that. What wise parents do when they see their children headed in the opposite direction of good, they put obstacles in their way. I'll give you a for instance. The first time I was allowed to drive by myself as a young high schooler, I was sent from our home to the church, to youth group, which was actually visible from our house. It was that close. <laughs> Not a big challenge. It was a Chrysler Cordoba that my mother had custom painted rosewood. It was a big old mom car boat. Okay? <laughs> 
What I did, instead of going about four blocks straight down the hill and back up the hill, I loaded it with kids, especially a blonde, and took it off-roading behind a Catholic church and got it stuck in a ditch. (laughs) Why did I do that? Because I wanted to impress the kids in the car, particularly the blonde sitting beside me. And she was impressed, but not in the way that I had hoped. And as a very young teenager, that night, my father's heart problems began. I'm serious. His heart started skipping beats that night. He was so upset at my foolishness. And then he made a decision regarding the car keys. What do you think my father did? Took them back. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I thought you were more mature than this. Give me those keys. You'll get them back when I see that you've matured. Why? Because he loved me. That's what wise, loving parents do. You have a father who loves you as your earthly father has never been able to, no matter how good he is. And he actually knows what is best. And verse 7 says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Instead, revere, love, admire, respect the Lord, and turn away from evil. Here's the blessing. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Here's how this works. If you give God your loyalty, He will give something in return. He will give you His blessing. In every area in which you trust the Lord, you'll have His blessing. What God is saying is, follow God and He will clear the right way at the right time. He'll show you the way. It's not a matter of you deciding where to go and asking Him to bless you. No, as you stay close to Him and you know Him, He'll show you the right way, and at the right time on that way, He'll clear your path. Every part of your life that has God's control will also have His blessing. And if there's a single thing I could communicate to Christians, and I'm talking primarily to those who have already humbly given their lives to the Lord. If you haven't, that's where you start. If you're not absolutely certain that your life is eternal because of what Jesus did for you, that's where you start. All of this is available, but it doesn't even apply to you yet until you receive God's gifts of salvation. But if you have, the single message I wish I could communicate to Christians is to trust Him with their whole life. Because many Christians, myself included, have this insane calculation. God is wise and loving and strong enough to save me, but when it comes to money, I better control that. When it comes to who to date, I really think this is a good girl for me. I think this is the right guy. Or I'm just so hungry and and desperate to advance in my career that I I think I'll just do it with, with these people. I think this will be good. I think this is to be the right person to date. And your father who sees all that impatience, who sees all that pain, and who sees all that frustration, he loved you at the cost of his son Jesus. He knows the way to go. He knows the right time. He knows the right way. And the places where you actually give him your control will have his blessing. The question is this, simply, God really does know best. The question is only, are you going to bet your life on? Let's pray. If you don't have that assurance of salvation, I haven't explicitly and at length told you how much Jesus loves you, how He took your lying, your selfishness, your self-centeredness to the cross and died for it, but He did. 
And maybe you've been hearing that for weeks and months or years at this church or some other, and now finally you're willing to humble yourself and say, Jesus, save me. That's where you start. Do that first. Let us know on the card in your bulletin that you have questions or that you're crossing that line. You're giving your heart and loyalty, your, for, your confession to Jesus today. And if you're actually in the family of God, could I just ask you, where is it that you've been fighting Him for control? Where is it that you take it back? I know where my spots are. There are things where I habitually tell God, you've had control long enough, I'd like the wheel for a while. And every time I take control from Him, I suffer for it. That's how He set the universe up. It will always work that way because He's always good and just and He always knows what's best. So just talk to Him about it. Open your heart up. In that area, surrender control. Father, move in this congregation. I pray especially for those who have been delaying their surrender to Jesus, that today would be the day, even with this message drawn from Proverbs, where they would cross the line and humble themselves and be saved by Christ. For the many children of yours you have in this room, give us the wisdom to surrender control today and the day after that and the day after that. And receive this offering, Lord. This is one really practical, heartfelt, or many difficult expression of our complete trust in you. That if we will give to you first, you will bless what remains and it will be enough. Receive this in Jesus' name. Amen.